Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Um, so in Luke chapter nine, with the words, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. We move into this whole new section in the gospel narrative. Jesus is now on his way to the city of Jerusalem. His route is not um, very direct. It's full of all these twists and turns, these highs and lows. The worldwide church has a parallel journey that we call the season of Lent that began on Ash Wednesday. Our discipleship journey, like Jesus's journey to Jerusalem, will also be a bendy path of highs and lows. In setting his face to go to Jerusalem, Jesus is making the difficult decision to confront the powers of oppression. And we will see some of those confrontations play out along the journey. But perhaps the major theme in Luke's gospel is the radical reversal of all things, or what has been referred to as the upside-down kingdom of God. Christians are first and foremost citizens of this upside-down kingdom that so often reverses the way things seem to be today. Well, this morning we're going to look at two distinct and familiar stories that Luke has deliberately placed side by side for our examination. We're going to focus on the things that they have in common, and they both include a radical reversal of roles that would have been unthinkable in Jesus's day. And many people hearing Jesus teach this would have actually found it to be offensive. Let's pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we ask for your grace to receive your truth in faith and in love and strength to follow on the path that you set before us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Here we go from Luke 10, 25 to 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down the Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now the words at the beginning, wanting to justify himself, that is Luke's clue that something is off with this lawyer. He's using theological debate as a means to avoid obedience to Jesus. Now normally question asking is a really good thing. But here we're clued in that his question, who is my neighbor, is only being asked to delay the process of having to actually love his neighbor, while the lawyer would prefer to restrict the size of his neighborhood, Jesus actually wants him to expand it. Now, in order to expand the lawyer's neighborhood and to show him what a good neighbor looks like, Jesus told a very familiar story, which builds on a common scenario. A traveler on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem is attacked and left to die on the side of the road. This road really existed, and it was notorious for thieves and bandits because of the caves that lined the road, making it the perfect place to commit these kind of crimes. This desperate traveler can do nothing, no cell phones, no roadside assistance, no life alerts, no AAA, no CHP, without the assistance of a good Samaritan, this guy is a dead man. Now, We're all familiar with the jokes that begin with some variation of this. Three guys walk into a bar, okay? So now I'm gonna give you an example. Three vampires walk into a bar. Now I'm gonna be annoying and I'm gonna interrupt the joke. The purpose of setting up a joke this way is of course to play on the stereotypes. We know before the joke is even told, that vampires like to drink blood. Now we're gonna try it again. Three vampires walk into a bar. The first one says, I'll have a pint of blood. The second one says, I'll have one too. The third one says, I'll have a pint of plasma. 
So the bartender looks at the three vampires and says, so that'll be two bloods and a blood light. Okay. It doesn't land online. <laughs> but when Jesus says a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan are walking down the road, he's doing what I just did. He's telling a familiar kind of story to his Jewish listeners. His audience knows the stereotypes before he even tells the story. But here's the catch. In the typical story that would have been told by the rabbis, Samaritans were nowhere to be found. As the traveler lies on the side of the road, his life flashing before his eyes, but there's this glimmer of hope. A priest is coming right toward him. Here's where our role assumptions come into play. Of course, the priest will stop and help. That's his job. But what does the priest do? He crosses to the other side of the road. He gets as far away as possible and he walks right on by. So a Levite who served in the temple is seen coming down the road. Again, the normal role assumptions here say that, of course, this religious professional would show compassion. After all, that's what religious professionals do, right? But he too crosses to the other side of the road, creating more distance, and he walks on by. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. said this about the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, I imagine that the first question the priest and the Levite asked was this. If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? So this left for dead traveler sees a dreaded Samaritan coming down the road and playing the stereotypes, he knew that he was a dead man. The Samaritans were considered less than, almost subhuman. They're racially and ethnically impure. They were also considered religious heretics who practiced this alternative form of Judaism. The Jews of Jesus's day despised Samaritans. This was the role that Samaritans played in first century Judaism. So here is our first big role reversal. A Samaritan can actually be good. This Samaritan heretic, the one who doesn't worship God the right way, is the one who is actually living out the way of Jesus. He's the one who is shown to be the good neighbor. He's the one who's obedient to Jesus's command while the supposed good guys concerned only about themselves refuse to help a dying man. No one would have used a Samaritan as an example of goodness. No one except Jesus. While the priest and the Levite moved further away, the Samaritan, it says, came near. This is what he lists, the scriptures list, 
that he did. He bandaged his wounds. He anointed him with oil. He placed him on his animal. He brought him to the inn. He took care of him personally, then paid for his whole stay. It's fascinating that in the first century, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. This man is called good because he was willing to decrease the distance between himself and the person in need. How willing are we to be that kind of neighbor? Are we willing to compassionately decrease the distance between ourselves and people in need? So Jesus walks away from this teaching with this lawyer and he enters the home of Martha and her sister Mary. Now, it would be so easy to lose sight of the scandal in Jesus's encounter with women because our cultures are so different from his. To say that Jesus was ahead of his time might be the understatement of the year. Jesus lived in a world where women were second-class citizens. I read a fantastic article by Karen Gonzalez. She said about this story of Mary and Martha that Jesus elevated the view of women in his time and lifted the restrictions placed on them solely because of their gender. Now let's take a quick look at these two women. On the surface, it appears that Jesus chastises the incredible hospitality of Martha in favor of Mary who refused to help her sister with the chores. Oh, if I had more time, I would have a field day with this part, but I got to let it go. The Greek word for Mary Martha's many tasks is the word from which we derive the word deacon. Martha's not just doing meaningless chores. She's actually probably doing with her life the meaningful work of a deacon in a church. Luke, in fact, may be telling us that this is exactly what Martha was, a leader, a deacon in her church. While hardworking Martha's sister Mary just sat at the Lord's feet. Now, here's the key to not missing Luke's most radical point. Mary isn't lazy. She isn't shirking her duties. To sit at the rabbi's feet was the mark of a student. But here's the catch. Women couldn't be students of a rabbi. Here we get to the second great role reversal. Women can be disciples. Mary is shown to be a disciple of Jesus, just like his male disciples. This is significant because women were forbidden from touching the Hebrew scriptures, let alone reading and studying them. In other words, the word woman and disciple were this mutually exclusive. There was really not such a thing until Jesus. Jesus invites Mary into a space that was previously reserved only for men. I don't see Jesus as criticizing Martha's work as a deacon. His concern seems to be that Martha was worried 
and distracted, which means that she was being pulled in multiple directions at the same time. We know that feeling. <laughs> Father Richard Rohr, when commenting on Martha, said that Martha was everything good and right, but one thing she was not. She was not present like Mary was. Both of these stories teach us of Jesus's upside down kingdom where traditional roles are reversed. We see that Jesus radically reverses long held racial, ethnic roles, religious roles, and gender roles. All of those things are within these two stories that we've just looked at. Race, ethnicity, religion, and gender do not block access to Jesus, nor should they block access to Jesus-centered communities today. Jesus is constantly surprising us by turning our expectations and the roles that we assign ourselves and others upside down. And if Jesus shows us that Samaritans can be good, Jesus is showing us that women can be church leaders and disciples, then what other barriers is Jesus trying to dismantle right now? Are we open to the upside down kingdom surprises that Jesus might well have for us today? And will we join Jesus in this work, decreasing the distance between ourselves and those in need and welcoming all kinds of people into our worshiping community that we call Lightshine? By God's grace, we will. Amen.